The 2-2 pitch. There's a drive deep right. Cubs win! Cubs win! On a grand slam by Hayward! And this ball drilled. Deep left field. This is going to be a tough play. Bryant, the Cubs win the World Series! Bryant makes the play! It's over! And the Cubs have finally won it all! TGIF, and welcome to Fanatics Friday on the Mistaken Identity Podcast. Brought to you by... Fanatics, the world's largest collection of officially licensed fan gear from all the leagues, teams, and players you love. Head on over to the show notes to gain access to the worldwide leader in licensed sports merchandise from all of your favorite teams, and be on the lookout for your chance to win some free items. Now, here are your hosts, Frank and David. So our guest, our first guest, uh, we wanted to start off with a bang. We're definitely starting off with a bang. Uh, he is a uh, three-time all-star. He is a four-time uh, hitting champion. Uh, he is one of only 11 major league players to bat over 310 different times. And we are excited to have uh, him with us. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please help me say hello to Bill Madlock. How you doing there? All right, we are excited. Uh, all the hands there clapping, okay. We've got a pretty good uh, attendance here. And we are excited to have you, Bill, uh, I'm sure where you are, it is not as uh, cold as it is where we are. <laughs> well, it's, it's cold for out here, but it's not, definitely not as cold as it is in, in Chicago. It's probably about 60 to 70 degrees here in Las Vegas. It's 60 is cold. Oh, wow. Okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. To us. All right. Uh, so again, thank you uh, for joining the staff and uh, the students and guests that we have uh, today for our Black History Player Series. Uh, as well as everything that you and your family has done behind the scenes to help us get this series started. So thank you. Uh, it's, it's a pleasure. You know, being from Illinois, you know, grew up in downstate uh, Illinois, Decatur uh, is always, uh, you know, a treat for me to come back home and deal with the Cubs fans. So the Cubs is my uh, first real team that I played with. Okay. All right. So since we're talking about uh, where you uh, grew up from in uh, uh, Illinois, down south, where were some of your baseball like idols or who did you look up to uh whether it's any sport other than baseball but who did you look up to athletic wise well obviously you know jackie robinson being the uh first uh black player in, in the major league and my first game i went down to st louis i know that's a bad bad word for uh cup fan but i've seen uh, pete rose play you know and he's always been my idol and i get a chance to play against him and he's a good friend he lives out in las vegas too Okay. All right. Uh, now, what sports did you play as a, as a child? Well, you know, when, when we grew up, we had to play all sports. We played uh, baseball, basketball, and football. It's not like it is now, the club teams, that once you play one sport, you got to, you know, full, full, full time. But, uh, but back there, we played uh, every sport. And that was the fun thing about it. I think uh, – the kids should get back into that because, you know, they, they really hurt their body by playing just one sport year round. So, so what, what drew you to baseball? Was there anything that out of playing all the sports, was there one thing that drew you to baseball? Well, I think because I, like I said, I grew up in Decatur, Illinois, we had a minor league baseball team there of the uh, San Francisco Giants. So I got a chance to meet some of the uh, players who played there and, uh, 
and they talked to me and I talked to them and I said, this is what I want to be. So then I, you know, went to college in Iowa on a baseball scholarship and signed way back with the Washington Senators. So it was always baseball. I played other sports, but it was always baseball. Okay. All right. So most of us, um, uh, we're familiar now with the draft being this uh, huge process on ESPN <laughs> and there's the families and the cameras. Uh, and, we're, and we're actually looking uh, to have a um, um, someone who was just drafted in the last draft on one of our staff Zooms. But can you tell us a little bit about the process of being drafted or how it worked uh, when you were drafted? <laughs> Uh, hello, you're drafted. That's it. That, <laughs> that was about what it was. It wasn't a big fanfare, uh, uh, but they had a different stages. So, you know, I was drafted out of high school um, and I didn't sign. So I went on to college and I was drafted. Uh, it's called a special phase. It was in, in January. So I, I was drafted there and then I signed. Okay. So now uh, how were your what, what did your parents think about going right out of high school? Like, what, what, was, what was your family's thought about that? Well, they, they didn't really care because they, uh, you know, they backed me whatever way I did. Because I was fortunate, uh, you know, my I was brought by my grand grandmother and she let me, uh, you know, other kids was working in, in our neighborhood. But she gave me an opportunity to go and play baseball uh, with the other with the other players. So I didn't have to work. She made it very easy for me to uh, uh, play baseball. OK. All right. Now, again, this is this is a black history series. So we're going to we're going to you know, educate as well as, you know, uh, talk about uh, how it was then. What was was there any uh, backlash or did you have any experiences that you want to share with us back when you well, were just you starting know, out when it comes to race? I, well, I like to say, I, you know, growing up in a small town, I, I told people I didn't really I didn't really understand what prejudice was until I got uh in baseball, because, you know, you know, you go into different parts of the country and, you know, and we couldn't get an apartment for my wife and my kid. Uh, uh, we couldn't go to certain restaurants and stuff. And uh, but, you know, it, it was it was tough, but it was not as bad as, the, you know, the players that came up before me, like 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 a Ernie, like a Billy and stuff. You know, it, it was that's why I really respect them, because those guys could go through all that stuff and still perform on the field. And, and that was the most amazing thing about it. You know, I, you know, I, I think I'm, it, it's tough for them, but like you got to tip your head to, you know, Aaron and Jackie and all those guys. So they went with stuff they went through just to get to the big leagues. Are there any players that you can think of that you would say were very, very supportive and looking out for you and, you know, like, Hey, if anybody bothers you, come talk to me with any players that were, you know, <laughs> Uh, I, I no, you know, not not in the minor leagues because everybody's trying to get out the minor leagues. But like when you when you got to the big leagues, uh, you had guys that you can talk to. I was fortunate, uh, you know, I played with some of the greatest star black stars in history. You know, I, uh, you know, with Ernie, with Billy Williams, and I with the Pirates. I was with uh, Willie Stargell, and then with San Francisco, I was with Willie McCovey. You know, the, all those guys are. Hall of Fame, not only great players, but great representative of their race. And, and they they talk to you about what things are, you know, how things are different and uh, what you should do and what you shouldn't do. Okay. okay. Uh, now, speaking of uh, the, the majors, can you tell me what it was like the first time you stepped into a major league stadium or a major league locker room? Like, what was that like? Well, I was watching um, – I was watching the Jackie Robinson story, uh, the new one, and watching him in the in the runway going to the stadium. And it's just an unbelievable feeling that you get, you know, before you walk on the field. And and uh, it's it's unbelievable, you know, your you know your first time going there, and you know you may, finally made it what you tried to do, you know, being a major league baseball player. Okay, all right. So, do you can you t tell us about your first? Major League home run. Uh, who was you know, the feeling? Who was you know? Who was? <laughs> yeah, matter of fact, it was off of Jim Cott. Uh, my first three hits were off of Jim Cott. I was down in uh, Texas at the old stadium. Uh, uh, and every time I see him, I, I, I tease him. I had him sign a. Last time I seen him, I had him sign a autograph ball for me. You know, uh, Kitty Cott. You know, a guy who should be in the Hall of Fame because he got over. 
you know, 250 wins and one of the great pitchers, great athlete of the time. But, you know, we know how the Hall of Fame works sometimes. <laughs> All right. Um, so now in the major leagues, uh, we know that when you came to the Cubs, uh, some two players that our staff may know, uh, you may know Ron Santo, you may know uh, Fergie Jenkins, uh, hopefully they know them, but uh, you know, when you first came with the Cubs, those two big names were involved with your coming here. So, uh, you know, and that's like getting right into the fire, pretty much. Uh, what, <laughs> would you say, what, what kind of reception or reaction did you get from fans? And just, you know, how was that? It, it was cold because if you look at uh, even the fans now, once you're part of the Cubs, you're part of their family. And those guys, are, you know, Sano, Billy Williams, uh, Ferguson Jenkins, they've been there forever. You know, and they were just and, and people don't realize, too, back then, uh, WGN and uh, TBS was the only two stations that had all the games. So they really knew the players and, and it was it was it was tough. But, you know, it was uh, glad to, you know, do it because I was I was at home. I was uh, close to the cater and my family got a chance to watch me play. But it, it wasn't easy taking those plays and you know especially Ron Santa was one of the great players Hall of Fame he went across town so uh it, it wasn't easy but like I was in the big leagues where I wanted to be and I was you know I, I was going to determine to stay okay so what were your impressions of uh, our favorite place uh, Wrigley Field when you first uh stepped onto that sacred ground wow <laughs> wow you know <laughs> it's like the uh in Texas it was just a modified uh Recreation park, the old park, but you know Wrigley Field was Wrigley Field, you know, and uh, and you know, and look at it then, and then look at it now. It's such an unbelievable different, you know, because I I come back to uh, Wrigley, do stuff for the Cubs, uh, you know, over the last few years, and it's just unbelievable to see the different and what um, what the owners have did uh, to Wrigley Field. Mr. Ricketts and his family had did there. It's just unbelievable. So a lot of these young people on this on this uh, watching this are going to go home later tonight and have their parents or look up uh, Bill Matlock on YouTube like I did. And the first thing <laughs> I came up was a little altercation that you had with the uh, St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, they're going to see that a small little team that we may not or uh, may enjoy uh, bothering. But you want to talk a little bit about how that little uh, skirmish you had or caused. Uh well, well, we had so many with the uh, with the, with the Cardinals, but that was a big rivalry then, you know, because uh, you know, back then it was bean balls, it was throwing at each other. Uh, uh, I don't completely remember how it happened. I just remember that we had three or four guys in the batter's box at one time, and uh, Marshall, Jose Cardinal, myself, and they threw the ball, and then after that, it just all heck broke out. <laughs> yes. All right. Okay. Um, now you are obviously a, a, a all-star game uh, MVP. Uh, can you tell us what it was like to uh, play in the all-star game? Uh, who did you play with? And uh, if you were in awe by anybody? Well, I, you know, all of them, you know, cause I, my first all-star was uh, in 1975 and I was MVP with John Matlock and, you know, most of the players there were veteran players got, you know, people that I watched on, on, on TV, it was just, uh, you know, you know, it was just treat walking in the locker room and just look around and seeing all these guys that you watched on TV, all those guys, your idol now they're your teammates, uh, for one day. So it was just, you know, all-star game. I, I, I enjoy going to the all-star game. You know, some people don't like going to, but I always enjoyed going there. Okay. Um, so recently, as uh, you know, uh, uh, Hank Aaron was, uh, uh, in the news, any thoughts uh, or experiences you want to share um, about Hank Aaron? Well, I got a chance to, you know, meet him and play against him uh, my first year, which is, was his last year in the uh, National League. And he was the, when I got uh, the All-Star Trophy in Milwaukee, he was the captain of the American League. So, you know, it was just, if you look at Hank, Hank probably, the, Hank was the first great stats because, you know, Hank put up unbelievable stats, you know, and, uh, and what he only did for the community of Atlanta is just, just unbelievable. It was just a treat 
plan with those guys and, and like say what those guys went through you know that's some that's the most amazing thing about you know the, the players back then you know it, you know not that they were former on the field is it what they went through off the field and those guys were just unbelievable uh, and then uh, what are your thoughts on one of my favorite uh, uh, players uh, Willie Mays uh Willie Mays uh, you you, uh, you talk to anybody uh, about who's the greatest ball player, and I guarantee you, ninety-five percent would say Willie Mays. So even now, right now, you know Willie was just unbelievable uh, player, you know. And uh, like I so said, he, you know, he was a New York. He came up through the New York Giants, and then he went over to San Francisco. But everybody would tell you he was the greatest all-around ball player in the history of baseball. He probably lost. Two to three hundred home runs just by playing in candlestick. If anybody played in candlestick, they know what I mean by that. Uh, now, recently, recently, the Negro Leagues have been in the news as well. Uh, as a matter of fact, yesterday, uh, MLB uh, did a special on uh, Satchel Page. Uh, do you have any thoughts or comments or um, uh, stars from the Negro Leagues that you uh, care to share about? Well, I, I, you know, being in the All-Star game and go there for the Fan Fest, you get a chance to way, way back when to meet some of them. And, you know, I, I bet uh, Satchel Paige uh, and got, you know, it's just, like I say, it's just unbelievable what they had to go through just to play a game that they love. And, you know, and and saying that they couldn't uh, couldn't play in the game uh, like everybody else. And, you know, and it was just it was just great being around those guys because, like I say, they went through bus rides. They went through, uh, you know, sleeping in the bus, you know, and then still had to get up there and, and play a game of baseball. So uh, it, it was uh, it was a treat talking to them, you know. And, like I say, you have to respect guys like that, you know, and, uh, and, and that's the good thing about it. All right. So we got a few folks with their hands up. I'm going to turn their mics off so they can talk to you directly. We're going to start here with uh, uh, Thomas. Uh, Butler Guerrero, what's your question? Hey, Bill, it's Thomas Butler Guerrero. I'm a student at IUPUI right now, a sports journalism student. I wanted to ask you two questions. Uh, a, it's a follow-up question. First, I wanted to bring you back to 1979. Uh, you're with the San Francisco Giants. It's the middle of the summer, and you get traded to the Pittsburgh Pirates. I want you to elaborate what went through your mind like during that trade. Uh, process and did you have any idea that you guys were going to make a World Series run? Well, you know, Ford making a World Series run. I know I was going through a good team. You know, like I said, we were a last place team in uh, San Francisco, and you know, knowing most of the guys uh, in in Pittsburgh, you know, like Willie Stargell, like I said before, uh, Dave Parker, uh, uh, Foley, and I. Yeah, we knew we had a chance, and that's one thing about it. They needed a third. <laughs> excuse me, they needed a third baseman and I was a third baseman. So, you know, it was a close run throughout the whole season. We finally won it on the last day of the season. Okay. And um, my second question, I want to look, look towards the current state of baseball, uh, basically from a run production standpoint, like, are you still a proponent of the traditional contact hitter? Or do you think like the defensive shifts, like this new era of, you know, statistics, advanced, you know, analytics, like, do you think this forces players to try to launch the ball in their swing or do you oh, still teach players to get contact on the ball? I teach players to make contact. I, I do lessons out here at Vegas Valley uh, batting cage in Las Vegas and I teach them to make contact. I, I think, you know, when you get more strikeouts than uh, hits, you know, something wrong with the game. And, you know, we got some players that, uh, I won't mention their name, but, you know, 60 to 70 percent of the time, you don't need to field them. They either strike out, walk or hit a home run. And that makes baseball very boring. Uh, and I guess, too, uh, it really came to effect in the World Series when uh, the pitcher and co uh, the manager for Tampa Bay took out stale, you know, with the game he was having. Of course, analytics say he's not any good after uh after uh, five or six innings, you know, you, you, sometimes you just have to go on, on feelings too. You know, I think they overuse it. I think they eventually just going to turn around the shift. I don't like, I still think the shift, they should all stay on their side of the field, you know, they can get behind second base, but, you know, having two or three guys on one side, you know, that's, that's kind of ridiculous. That's takeaway hits that take away triples, which is the most exciting play in baseball. You just, you know, so sometimes it gets to be a boring game to watch. 
100% agree that uh, there should just be an unwritten rule that you have the integrity of keeping two defensive players on each side of second base. I agree with yeah. that completely. I think Thank eventually you, it might get back to that. For sure. Thank you a lot. Okay. Oh, right. All right. Uh, Clarence Stores, go ahead with your question. <clears throat> Hey, Bill, um, lifelong Cubs fan, certainly was a fan of yours, uh, watching you. as a kid growing up. But my question is, I remember the game when you were dead locked in with Ken Griffey Sr. for the batting title, and you had to move like four or five percentage points, and, and you had a monster game that day. Um, so talk to us a little bit about that. Well, you know, going to the last game of the season, uh, I think I forgot what year. It was 75 or 76. Uh, it was 76, I think, that uh, uh, he set out that game in Cincinnati. And uh, and I played. I had to go. Uh, had, I couldn't make out. Let's put it that way. If I made it out, it was over. So I went four for four on the last day of the season. They put Ken Griffey in at the end. He struck out. Then, you know, knowing the big red machine, they batted around again. And they had a chance to win, but he struck out again. So I won on the last day by going four for four, and he went um, 0 for 2. All right. Uh, we're going to go to some of the questions in the chat. But, but if you want priority, you can use the raise your hand feature if you can. So one question in the chat for you is, who was your favorite manager to play for and why? Who was your favorite manager to play for and why? Well, uh, probably, uh, well, no doubt, uh, uh, Chuck Tanner with the Pittsburgh Pirates. He was, uh, you know, he was uh, just a great guy to play with, a great guy to talk to. You know, we had a great team, and uh, and he let you be a ball player. He let you, you know, he didn't have all these rules and stuff, but you know, he let you he let you go out there and plan for him. You know, but uh, you know, any manager is great as long as I was in the big leagues. All right, uh, I've got some questions from some school kids, and I can tell. That uh, I'm I'm a huge fan of this student because of who they chose for their question, but they want to know what do you think about current African American Cub Jason Hayward, and have you ever spoken to him? Oh yeah, I you know like I said, I come in uh, I come in uh, Chicago probably I probably watch twenty to thirty games a year and sometime more. Uh, well, I, you know, obviously he's a great defensive ball player. I know he, he's not him like supposed to, but last year it seemed like uh, <clears throat> he found something wrong with his swing and he started to change a little bit. So I just hope this year is a, a big, big year for him because they're going to need him uh, because uh, with forward gone, you know, that's 30 or 40 home runs. So you're going to need a little more offense for him uh, uh, this year. Uh you know, obviously he came over with a big contract, expected a lot from Jason, but, uh, you know, he still got a long ways to go on a contract. I don't think it's too late for him to really put up some stats at uh, Wrigley Field. Uh, yes, and we're definitely trying, working on getting Jason Hayward on Zoom. We got a live question here from uh, Tony Castellino. Uh, go ahead, Tony. Hi, Bill. We're about the same age, um, but uh, got a question for you. I, obviously, uh, Wrigley Field is your favorite ballpark to play in, but what other ballparks did you enjoy uh, playing in? Well, obviously Pittsburgh, uh, we won there. You know, we, we you know, and the Cubs, it was a great field, but the team was uh, pretty bad the three years I was I was there. You know, and you know, Dodger Stadium was a, a nice stadium. But if you remember back then in olden days, all the fields were basically those cookie cutters. You know, those uh, those. Um, turf fields, you know, all built alike. So, but to probably the, the three was uh, Wrigley, Pittsburgh, and Dodger Stadium. And worse was San Francisco, Candlestick. <laughs> A lot of wind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, the next hand I see here is uh, Larry Bright. Go ahead, Larry. Thank you, Bill. Thank you very much for talking to us today. Um, when you were playing, who was your favorite pitcher to face and who was your least favorite? Well, I can go to my least favorite. That's easy. Steve Carlton. Uh, he, you know, probably I think he's the best left-hander that ever ever pitched. Uh, and uh, I hit Tom Seaver pretty good. You know, I, I like uh, facing, you know, facing him. You know, and I always got up for the, you know, the good pitchers in the league. You know, Tom. You know, uh, he passed away uh, not too long ago, but he was a fantastic pitcher and I always liked like hitting off of him. 
All right, I got a question here from a classroom. Uh, what baseball players do you uh, hang out with the most currently? You know who I, you know I see uh, like so I live like so I live in Las Vegas, and every once in a while I'll, I'll see uh, Chris Bryant uh, out here, and I see uh, uh, Bryce Harper, and you know, and a few of the uh, other ball players because we got a bunch of bunch of you know. Uh, uh, Ball Dexter Filer, he's out here. So we have a bunch of ball players live out here in, in, in Las Vegas. So uh, we see each other hang out. Well, you know, they don't we don't hang out that much because we, you know, especially over the last year, nobody's hanging out. So it's just uh we see each other. They they're working out, they're doing things, getting ready for the season. Uh, seems like uh, you know, guys gonna be starting her, heading uh uh to Arizona and Florida in the next week or ten days. All right. A question from a student. I love baseball, but my dad prefers basketball any day over baseball and does not always encourage me to stick with baseball. His question is, why do you think African-Americans are not as interested in baseball as other sports? Well, I think it's because uh, with basketball, football, Everything happens so quick. You know, once you sign a, a contract with basketball, you're right there on TV and ready to play. And the same thing with football. You're a star right off the bat. But in in, uh, in baseball, you have to work your way through the system. You know, sometimes it might take four years. Sometimes it may, may take 10 years, you know, but, you know, but it's, it's a process, you know, with the uh, Sports, when you get drafted, uh, those other two sports, you're, you're, you're a star right off the bat. And the best thing about it, you get the money right off the bat. You know, and with baseball, that's stuff that you have to work for. You got to be really dedicated to put in the work, you know, same way, even though your dad might not like the game of baseball. That's something that, uh, you know, you have to do on your own. You know, you got your coaches out there and uh, – and, I, you know, and obviously it's, it's available because uh, I think the Cubs number one draft choice was a shortstop from uh, from Chicago who played in the Little League World Series. So uh, it, it's a way if you want it, it's a way you just got to work hard and be dedicated to it. All right. Uh, we got a question here from uh, one of my favorite guys in the bleachers, uh, Renee. Go ahead, Renee. Hi, uh, Bill. It's a pleasure uh, meeting you and having you spend this time. Uh, did you have an opportunity to play against or face uh, Bob Gibson and how successful were you? Well, Bob Gibson just said like at the end, in end of his career, uh, Bob was obviously one of the greatest pitchers of all time. And, uh, and when I faced him, he wasn't that his best, you know, but he's still very competitive. So uh, even though he went throwing 80, 90, 95 miles an hour, you would have to go out there and do your homework and be ready for him. But uh uh, I'm glad I didn't face him when he was at his best because, you know, some of the stats and some of his ERA was just unbelievable. All right. So here's a question from the chat. What do you think of the state of the game today? Uh, it, I don't know. It's it's just it's just I don't understand it. I, you know, I, I never did think the game was that bad. You know, it seemed like uh, it seemed like people just wake up at the middle of the night. say I'm going to change it. You know, it, it's some of the stuff that we're coming up with, you know, uh, you know, seven inning doubleheaders, uh, man on second base. That's the way my kids play now in softball and, and stuff like that. You know, it's, uh, you know, I, I always, you know, for baseball to be getting all these changes, something had to be wrong with it. I just think now they don't have to change stats because, you know, it looked like baseball is going through so many different, you know, with the steroid here, with the live ball and stuff like that. So you almost have to put baseball in about three of the three or four different uh, session now because I, I don't like where it's going to like say, you know, I talked to some of the guys who played when I played, they, they cannot watch the game because, uh, you know, they don't understand the game and you know, get these announcers, you know, they you know, they won't let you watch the game. They talk about analytics and stuff. And you see some of these guys that you, they make stars out of guys who's not, you know, because they throw all that analytics at you. You know, you look at the stats, you think you, you look, you listen to them talk, you think they talk about Willie Mays, but then, then you look at the stats and there is nothing. Mm-hmm. 
Join us on the road to our 10,000th download and the launch of our new TV channel with the limited edition Mistaken Identity Podcast shirt made by Obvious Shirts, of course. Click the link in our show notes to purchase before they're all gone. Make sure to tag us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter while wearing your shirt for a chance to win additional merchandise. Howdy, folks. Welcome back to Headlines and Hot Takes, brought to you by Lids.com. The Cubs seem to be showing some unexpected late life here as they've won seven of their last eight games, heading into a weekend set against one of the best teams in baseball in the San Francisco Giants. Frank Schwindel parlayed his excellent play into National League Player of the Week honors for late August, and Ian Happ has continued to prove he can catch up to that high fastball that had been giving him fits earlier this year. We could parse out the pros and cons of a hot stretch like this and its ramifications on next year's draft and the rebuild at large, but I wanted to take a slightly different approach to headlines and hot takes this week in light of the recent Hall of Fame ceremony up in Cooperstown. First and foremost, a hearty congratulations to the 2020 class. Even though the ceremonies got pushed back due to COVID-19, a group headlined by Derek Jeter and Larry Walker was well worth the wait. I can definitely appreciate seeing guys who helped shape my fandom start entering the Hall of Fame. Now, obviously, there's a bit of a logjam that still exists for players who have either admitted to using or are heavily speculated to have been using performance-enhancing drugs during their playing careers, which, for better or worse, makes up the vast majority of my core fandom. I think you all know the players which I'm referring to here, the Barry Bonds's, Roger Clemens's, Sammy Sosa's, and Mark McGuire's of the world. Now, to be clear, neither Derek Jeter or Larry Walker were ever implicated in anything of the sort, so the combination of their clean background and their performance made them shoe-ins for the Hall. But I'm of the mind that a Hall of Fame is reserved for all of the best performers in the game, and the most prudent way of dealing with sensitive issues involving certain players is laying that bear on their plaques and allowing the fans to draw their own conclusions instead of disallowing them from the Hall of Fame entirely. Because if you're not actually showcasing all of the game's best players with all of the flaws that they may have had along the way, you're getting a very revisionist look at the entire sport. Put another way, I'd be much more in favor of future generations knowing Pete Rose, to use a different example, as the all-time hit king and crediting him for such an accomplishment, while also being aware of his gambling background and understanding why that was such a mistake. I think that's a more effective route than just saying, well, we don't talk about the guy who is one of the best at the single hardest skill in the game. It becomes a much stronger cautionary tale for that story to have to stand up next to others that don't include any shady dealings off the field, but it also acknowledges just how elite of a talent he was while he was on it. You know, either learn from history or be doomed to repeat it, or something like that. Getting back to my specific gripe with the steroid era, the current system of voting essentially allows the Hall of Fame to overlook and stick its nose up at an entire generation of players that was largely responsible for saving the entire game of baseball after the last labor lockout in the 90s. And by virtue of doing that, you're also basically telling my generation that our fandom doesn't really matter and will never be properly recognized or celebrated in the way many others are. Let's not forget that the Sosa McGuire home run race of 98 was a watershed moment for the sport and recouped almost all of the viewership that had been lost in the mid-90s. Let's not forget how all the owners and the commissioner were just as happy to celebrate that action as all of the fans were because of how much revenue it was bringing into the league. And let's not forget that while PEDs were included on the banned substance list as early as 1991, there was no formal testing process instituted until 2003. Kind of funny how they decided to drop the hammer on that after all the checks cleared, right? I'm just tired of the iconic players of my time being scapegoated, and unfortunately, I don't think that'll end anytime soon. The group I mentioned earlier are all in their final years of their 10-year window, and while they've been getting a few more percentage points of votes year over year, it seems more than likely that their clocks will simply run out before they're accepted enough. And by scrutinizing a player's on-field performance by virtue of what may or may not have gone on off the field, you're essentially setting up the Hall of Fame to become more of a likability contest instead of a true measure of the greatest to ever do it. If you ask me, the counter-arguments to disallowing players with ties to PEDs don't hold as much water as you think. Some people like to point out the questionable morals that it must take to artificially enhance performance as grounds for not allowing them in. But if you want to go down the moral rabbit hole, you better buckle up, because there are plenty of questionable characters already in the Hall of Fame. There was plenty of speculation around Ty Cobb's views on race relations prior to the MLB being integrated. That goes double for Rogers Hornsby. Hell, Tris Speaker told people he was a member of the KKK, but he's still in the Hall. And there are surely others in the Hall who fit this bill, too. But I suppose the everyone was doing it, it's just a sign of the times mentality only applies to racism and not steroids, right? 
There's a long line of elite pitchers doctoring balls to gain an advantage that clearly spills over into the present day with the recent ban on sticky stuff. Gaylord Perry, Don Sutton, and Whitey Ford all come to mind, with Ford even being quoted as saying, and I'm literally quoting here, I didn't cheat until later in my career when I needed something extra to survive. How funny, yet another commonly used reasoning that steroid era players have given that apparently applies to other situations, but not theirs. I can go on, but the point of the matter is you don't have to entirely excuse morals, but you have to put a much stronger emphasis on the merits than anything else. And steroid era players just don't seem to receive that same treatment as other questionable characters have in the past. Many people would also point to the actual physical effects of steroids being a much stronger factor than other forms of cheating simply because on-field results stand to directly be skewed as a result. But you have to stack that notion up against the growing body of evidence that increasing muscle mass due to steroids didn't actually cause, per se, more home runs and strikeouts. Yes, increasing muscle mass with or without the help of steroids do help you hit and throw the ball a little bit harder, but last I checked, they do not help with hand-eye coordination or understanding how to sequence pitches in order to keep hitters off balance. Data even suggests that home run and strikeout rates have both increased recently at a much higher rate than they ever did during the steroid era itself, so there's plenty of room to debate just how much of an impact those drugs really had on a sport that is so heavily predicated on finite motor skills. Look, I'm not trying to come off as some grand steroid apologist, but I want my Hall of Fame to truly be based on merit and let the accountability come from the fans who ultimately have to decide for themselves whether to cherish these players or not. I think letting a guy like Barry Bonds get up on stage and listening to him explain himself to a jury of his peers and the world at large would be the ultimate arbiter in this case instead of just never letting him up there in the first place. One of my college advisors once told me, I look at the Hall of Fame like this. Can you tell the full story of baseball without this person? No? Then they belong in the Hall of Fame. And if you try to tell the entire story of baseball without mentioning guys like Bonds or Sosa, you're not actually telling the full story of baseball in my opinion. No game is perfect, no players without their warts, and let's be real, cheating will always exist in baseball to some degree, but to tell the full story of the sport, we should include as much of that as possible instead of trying to shield it from the public. Alright, I'll get off my soapbox now. Thanks for listening to another edition of Headlines and Hot Takes, brought to you by Lids.com, the number one destination for hats, gear, and everything that moves you. Enjoy the rest of the episode, and I'll catch you next time. Uh, I got a bunch of questions from students. Uh, I'm going to do this question from a student, which is also in the chat. And I got another one. I'm going to get you next, Emilio. Uh, The question is a combined question. Do you think Sammy Sosa should be in the Hall of Fame? And the next one was, do you think Pete Rose should be in the Hall of Fame? (laughs) That's just too quick. Sammy, uh, I like to, you know, stats-wise, obvious Sammy, uh, long at it go. Anybody hit 500 plus home runs, and 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 you know, I I, I don't understand why you don't get more votes. I mean, because Sammy and McGuire they carried baseball for for two or three years because baseball was on its way down. They had the home run race with Sammy and uh, uh, Mark McGuire. I think both of those should be, if not in the Hall of Fame, you know, high up there on, on, on the list. Yeah, because and then you know Pete, like I said, Pete's a good friend of mine, and um, you know, for his Pete stats, you know, Pete was the greatest base base hit guy of all time, you know, and and Pete played hard, harder than anybody else, but you know, you still have your rules of the game, and you got to go by the rules of the game, and uh, obviously he didn't do it. All right, so this question is from an eighth grader by the name of Emilio. He wants to know. What do you remember from your first professional game? What did it feel like standing there on the field? Uh, I was I was fortunate. I got you know I got off the plane, and I got there about 15, 20 minutes before the game started, and I was right there, and so I didn't get a chance. I you know I wasn't nervous enough. I got right in there, but like say just when you got out there on the field. You look up and you see the you know fans and stuff. You say in the picture that you're facing a major league picture. Say, oh, I made it, and that's what that's what I well that's what I said. I, I made it. Uh, okay. Uh, what's your opinion? It says, what's your opinion of the DH, which came out in your era? And for the, for kids, the DH, if you don't know, it's the designated hitter. So, what is your opinion of the DH? I like the National League. I you know because. Uh, uh, you make the manager think. You make the manager think ahead. You know the double switch, the uh, 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 
you know, stuff like that. You know, now I like to change it. You know, the reliever got to pitch the three batters. And I think whenever you change stuff like that, you're changing the outcome of a game. And I don't think you should do that by just changing the rules. Uh, I like the DH and make 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 them make a move. They're not just sitting there, you know, like to the good teams like the Yankees and DH or, or other teams. They don't even have to make a move. The manager don't have to make a move or not. Just pitch a pitch to five innings, go to another pitch, go to another. That's it. All right. I got a question here from a student about uh, strikeouts. But to put in perspective, it says here that um, uh, you uh, only struck out uh, once every 14.5 plate appearances. And this person's question is, why are there so many strikeouts today? Well, because they're trying to hit the ball out of the ballpark. You know, we, <laughs> we, took, we took pride in putting the ball in play. And now they don't. They really don't care. They don't care if they hit. 160, 190, just as long as they hit, uh, uh, you know, 15 to 20 home runs. And uh, like I said, we took pride in putting the ball in play. We shortened up our strength, uh, our swing when we had two strikes. They don't even think about it anymore. Uh, all right. So this question is from our chat. Uh, <laughs> interesting question. If you could put together a dream team, who, <laughs> who would be on your dream team? Oh, my God. That's uh, it, it, so many. It's so many great ball players, you know. I, I just think, you know, just like basketball and football, I don't think you can – you have to go by I, – I think every 20 years because the players change so much and they big – like right now, these guys are bigger and stronger. You know, back then, you know, uh, the pitching was different. You know, now, you know, during the course of a game of – uh, batter might uh, starting batter might face three different pitchers. You know these guys throwing 100 miles an hour, but I know I just know who'll be my center fielder. I know Willie Mays would be my would be my center fielder. All right, a question from a student by the name of Javier: Who is your favorite player right now? Oh, right now that's jeez, uh, I don't. Oh goodness, I like I said I don't watch. Baseball or follows like I, I used to, but you know, uh, since I know um, Harper, you know, and and I like the way he play, and uh, and uh, I, he's one of my favorite players to, to watch right now. All right, I got another tough one from an eighth grader, uh, Axel. He wants to know how would you rank yourself compared to other players? Well, uh, like you say, I just go by my stats. I did certain stuff that they can't do and they do certain stuff I can't do. I wasn't a home run hitter, but like say, you know, hitting 300 uh, 10 times or, or being an MVP playing in the World Series. So, you know, they know I played the game. Let's put it this way. They know I played the game hard. That's one thing I know. All right. I got a, let me see a private chat from a student. It says, I only know the Cubs as World Series winners. So my question is, based on the fact that, to me, they've always been winners. Where, where were you and what were you doing when the Cubs won the World Series? Well, I was, I was uh, watching it on, on TV. I, I started to come to the game, but I didn't want to come down there and get in that because I knew what was going to happen. You know, uh, I know they won it in Cleveland, uh, but uh, – that was that seventh game was was most one of the most exciting games that I that I that I ever watched. Uh, and yes, and to the students, yes, the Cubs have always been winners. You're lucky <laughs> about that, though. You know, <laughs> <laughs> Next question from a seventh grade uh, student. Uh, forgive me if I get the name wrong. Uh, Hamza wants to know which game was your personal most memorable game. Well, I, I think the uh, last game of the World Series that we played in 1979, you know, when uh, when Omar Marino caught the last out, that was the most memorable game because, like I say, you, when you're playing in the World Series, you, you like I say, you don't only dance in town. Everybody's watching you, and, and you're the best team in the world. All right. Uh, question here. What, what are your thoughts on Ken Griffey's role with MLB right now? Uh, uh, I guess I just think they have, I know he just got a new job for his, uh, doing stuff for the, uh, community, you know, black community. I, I just think they got to do more. I guess that I, you know, I know they got uh, certain things they got an RBI program and stuff, but I just think they're, 
they need to almost do it the same way they do it in Latin country. We need to put up our academy, you know, and 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 most of those guys down there, they're you know nothing against the coaches that they got now work with, but but the coaches down in the Latin country, they're coached by players that they're coached by ex minor league players, ex major league players, and I, I think they got to do that, you know, because uh, you know just having an RBI program, you know, it's uh, it's just not enough, and and. You know, they got to sit around scouts. But, you know, like I said, I think we probably had more black on our team in Pittsburgh than they have in the whole league right now. Almost, you know, it's it's it's, it's going it's going down, you know, because, you know, because, you know, kids like that like once it, they're going to basketball, football, because, you know, they don't get the right training and stuff that they do in, in baseball and those other two sports. All right, another student. Hopefully, I get the name right. Uh, Zerania wants to know how long did it take to even become a baseball player? How many goals did you have to make to uh, make it to that level? Well, well, I started playing like, <clears throat> like I said, back in Decatur, Illinois, when I was uh, probably about six years old, and then I, you know, like I said, I went through little league, I went through high school. I went to American Legion. I went through college. I, it was, uh, you know, that's why I said baseball is not not a short process like the other sports. You got you got to work and you got to continue work. It's just, uh, and once you get there, you still got to work twice as hard to stay there. So uh, it, it's 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 a tough. It's it, it's tough, and it just the goals you set is you know you get you get the goals that guys set when they make it to the minor leagues. They say, oh, I'm gonna play this. I hope to make my goal. I hope to make it in big leagues in four years. And, and and I had that too. I wanted to make my goal was to get out of the minor leagues in four years. All right. Uh, a question from a student sent to me in a private chat. It says, uh, when I was a child, I used to think my grandmother was cheating on my grandfather because every day at 120, she had to go and see somebody named Harry Carey. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? What are your thoughts about broadcasters and MLB when you were playing? <laughs> well, that's that's funny, right? <laughs> um, but you know, I you know, I like to say everything's getting better. You know, I, I think right now, you know, Harry and all the way back there, they were more dedicated to the action of games. They knew players more now. It, it, you know, the announcers, you know, they they overanalyze everything now, you know, they, you know, they use words that, you know, have no place to be in, in, in sports, but, you know, I guess they want to make the stuff sound smarter at times. All right. A uh, question from a student uh, at uh, Gaudi Technology Academy. Uh, what are your thoughts? His name is Marvin, by the way, Marvin. What are your thoughts on baseball in foreign countries? Well, I was fortunate. I played in uh, Japan for a year and I coached in uh, uh, Taiwan and I coached in a few of the Latin countries. The kids are, the kids work a little harder, you know, they want to get out, you know, like in a Latin country, you know, they, 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 they work, they really put in the time, you know, and they don't have the other sports to play like uh, we have, you know, they don't have the basketball, they don't have the football, they don't have the tennis and swimming and stuff like we have here. Uh, so, um, it's a different kind of athlete coming there and a different kind of most important thing is a different kind of dedication when you go into those other countries to play and watch them and how they work and how they go about, you know, preparing themselves uh, for a game. All right. Uh, it says, what was your favorite We Are Family Pirates memory? And what do you think when you hear the song now? Well, I heard it. It, it bring back uh, good memories. Obviously, uh, Sister Sled, uh, there was our thing song we wanted. Uh, that was uh, Willie Sarger did it. Uh, he made that possible for us. So, it, you know, just a winner, you know, in, in the fun time in, in baseball. All right. And let's see here. Uh, this is going to be our last question. Uh, we'll get, uh, you know, uh, you all throughout the week here. But um, how has the pandemic uh, affected you? Uh, what have you been doing during the pandemic? And have you picked up any bad habits during the pandemic? Uh, I'm sure, you know, only bad habit is watching too much uh, TV and, and, and eating <laughs> like everybody else. But, you know, out here, 
<clears throat> we've been, you know, I out here the kids not not in school. So uh, you know, the private schools they're in school, you know, most of the kids of uh it's not back in school, you know, and being in Las Vegas with you, I don't know if you've ever been out here. This is this this town is almost like a ghost town. And you know, and if you have been here doing the New Year's and all the other times, you you know, this is the most exciting city in the world. And and this city is uh, you know, you know, it's I just read an article in the paper that they, they said it's just the uh the death of Las Vegas. I, I hope not, not to I hope things are getting better and I hope, you know, with the new regime coming in, uh that uh that things will, will change a little bit for the better. All right. So uh, I definitely uh, want to thank you for helping to kick off our um, Black History series for our staff and students. I hope all of you all continue to join us throughout the month. Uh, Any closing remarks to uh, students for (coughs) Black History Month, uh, um, Bill, that you want to give? Any closing remarks? What? Right. Just, uh, you know, read about it. I know it's it's a lot of stuff. that you take for granted and you forget about what the people, uh, you know, behind you did to get you in this situation. Just read about it. And, and not just in February too. I, I, you know, that's one of my biggest speeches, you know, I, you know, I just wanted, you know, this part all the time, you know, you, you know, you know, black history, white history. I, I don't like to sit inside for one, one month, but you know, it's good to be doing it though. Uh, yes. Thank you very much. So hopefully I will see um, we will see Bill again. Uh, stay safe, everybody. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Hey, everybody. Joe Flaherty here with the Mistaken Identity Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. We want to thank you for your continued support. We also want to extend a heartfelt thank you to those of you who have written reviews, dropped some likes, and shared our shows as that has allowed us to grow beyond any of our expectations. As a matter of fact, we're excited to announce a new way for our loyal listeners to enhance their experience even more with our new membership feature. All you have to do is jump in the show notes and follow the link to our Patreon page where you can find access to a whole bunch of extra goodies for as little as $3 a month. You'll be given access to exclusive content, merchandise, behind-the-scenes video, early access to episodes, the ability to make special requests for guests, and much, much more. Now, if that sounds like something that interests you, head on over to Patreon and search Mistaken Identity Podcast, or simply follow the link in our show notes to join the likes of Nancy Sullivan, Alice Daniels, and Kathy Chester at the rookie level, all the way on up to the Hall of Fame level with longtime listeners Kathy Weedley and Kathy Grossman. As always, we can't leave without our disclaimer. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely our own, and we do not speak for or on behalf of the Chicago Cubs or any other organization. Stay safe, and we'll catch you next time.